Are you a lawyer who needs CPD? I've teamed up with Law CPD to make that task easier for you. Law CPD provide premium CPD for Australian lawyers and they offer so much more than just another webinar. Law CPD's courses are online, on-demand, interactive learning. Law CPD are offering Doing Law Differently listeners $25 off of their first purchase using the code DLD25. There are over 100 courses across all competency areas, so visit lawcpd.com.au to find your next CPD course and make sure you use the code DLD25 for your $25 off. You're listening to Doing Law Differently. Join me, Lucy Dickens, as I explore how the world's most progressive legal service providers are doing law differently. Hello, I'm Lucy Dickens. Welcome back to the Doing Law Differently podcast. If you're a long-time listener, thank you for making this show part of your weekly routine. And if you're new here, well, let me tell you a bit about who we are and what Doing Law Differently is all about. This is my weekly podcast where I share interviews with lawyers who are leading the way in legal innovation. I really like to focus on the practical side of things. So I'm interested in looking at talking to lawyers about who are you, what do you do differently, why, and most importantly, how. I really do try to dive into that behind the scenes of business and really work out how it is that people are doing things differently. On occasion, I also do some solo episodes where I share my own reflections that have come either from the work that I do in our law firm or from my work in the industry more broadly. I am a lawyer, probably just like you, and I also work with a handful of law firm leaders who want to reshape their law firm and reclaim their life. I published my very first book about this topic in November last year. It's Time to Do Law Differently is the name of my book, and you can get your hands on it at my website, lucydickens.com.au, or on Booktopia or Amazon, really anywhere where you like to buy your books, be it in paperback or ebook version. And I'm also a senior associate at Berman and Ride, a small law firm in Perth, where I lead the development of our legal services, which means that I very much practice what I preach. So when I'm talking to people on this podcast about doing law differently, often we're talking about things that I've done or I've experienced or that I've seen. And every day I'm taking ideas and trying new things in our practice. If you enjoy this episode or any others, it would really mean the world to me if you would share it with your friends and colleagues or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps other people to find out about the show. Okay, now I've caught you up on that. Let's talk about today's episode. I'm joined by Perpetua Kish, who is the director of Balance Family Law based in the ACT. I met Peppy a couple of years ago, not long before she started her law firm and have really enjoyed watching it grow and develop over the last 18 months. Balanced Family Law provide family law and estate planning services Australia-wide to clients who are looking for a kind and amicable divorce. They try to work with clients to create a balanced and harmonious solution so that the client can really move on and thrive with the rest of their life. They're the only fixed-fee, full-service family law and estate planning firm in the ACT and have won lots of awards in their short 18 months. And when I say lots, I mean lots. Too many for me to list out here, but I'll include the ones that Peppy has told me about in the show notes. So you can go and have a look if you'd like to see just how many awards this award-winning firm have won. 
There are lots of topics that Peppy and I talk about, including her business model, her approach to law, how she managed to build a law firm that lets her be herself, in her words, uh, her collaborative approach to family law and what that even means, and also Peppy's really interesting perspective about not having competitors, only future collaborators, which I think is really interesting and an important lesson that a lot of us could take, particularly in law. Don't forget, please hit subscribe, leave a rating and review for me if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. And also, if you have someone who you'd like me to interview, or if you perhaps want to put your hand up to share how you're doing law differently, please get in touch with me either by email, lucy at lucydickens.com.au or send me a message on LinkedIn. Now, let's hit play. Here is Perpetua Kish on the Doing Law Differently podcast. This episode is brought to you by Nexus Law Group. For those seeking positive career change, Nexus Law Group offers senior lawyers the freedom of sole practice with all of the support and infrastructure you need so that you can focus on what you do best, practicing law. Contact Nexus to find out how you can take the next step towards a more rewarding legal career. Find out more on the Join Us page at nexuslawyers.com.au. Hello, Peppy. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Lucy. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. We were saying just before that we originally scheduled this interview for about a year ago. For many reasons, we didn't do it then. And I'm in some ways glad we didn't do it then because so much has happened for you in the last 12 months in your business. And so now we get to talk about all of that, which I think is quite exciting. It is exciting. And yes, I'm also happy that we didn't talk back in March like (laughs) we had originally planned. Yeah. So tell us about your business now. How do you describe your law firm, Balance Family Law? I guess Balance Family Law is a law firm that I dreamt of working in before when I worked in sort of the more traditional firm. It's a firm where I can be 100% myself. I can do what I love and I can take it easy or, you know, really put the pressure on the accelerator if I feel like it. It's completely up to me and to Jono, who I work with and is, you know, very much part of that two-person founding team. Yeah, it's the firm that I guess allows us to bring what we believe in into the family law space and hopefully make that space a better and more warm and inviting space. I want to ask you more about your comment about this is a firm that lets me be myself. So I'm going to ask you that question next. But before I do that, for the listeners benefit who don't know much about Balance Family Law, tell us about what services you provide. What is it that you do for your clients? Okay, so Balance Family Law is a family law and estate planning firm. We're based in Canberra, but we were originally a primarily virtual firm. So we were able to service all of Australia, really. We started with a focus on sort of online legal solutions. So making things easier, more accessible to clients who had reached an agreement and just wanted us to help them through that process. And of course, we'd use technology to help us on their way, work with the clients um, through that process. And as we sort of found our feet as a new business, we realized, hey, we just love working with the clients on, on their mindset and their, what drives them, why are they there, really understanding their why. And really shifting from, okay, this is what the law says to, okay, how do you feel about this? Let's explore where you'd like to see yourself. What are your goals? What are your interests? And that sort of saw us move towards being more of a collaborative 
interest-based negotiation, non-litigious firm. So we don't really do any litigation at all anymore. We do a tiny bit, mainly because we had some clients early on and we're finishing up those matters. We take on some matters that sort of pique our interests, but otherwise we work with clients to help them resolve their family law problem with care, compassion, and with the goal of being friends with their ex at the end of it. Yeah, that's great. That's a really good insight into who you are and what you do. And I want to talk about some of those things a bit more throughout this interview. So we'll come back to some of those themes. But I first want to ask you what I kind of hinted at before, which is you started this interview by saying Balanced Family Law is a firm that lets me be myself and do you know, what I've always wanted to do in law. And I know that for a lot of listeners have that goal. A lot of people think that it might be an elusive goal because, you know, law operates in this way, I want to operate in this way, and I can't make the two of them fit. So I completely accept that this is a really big question. But how did you do that? How did you build a firm, create a law firm that lets you be yourself and operate the business, work in the way that you really want to work? Yeah. I was fortunate enough to have my first seven years in private practice in a firm which allowed me to create my own little sort of ecosystem, for lack of a better description, within that firm. So I was able to run my cases the way I wanted to after a very short time. It just was the way that the firm kind of worked. We all sort of operated in silos. Sadly, we weren't a particularly unified group. That firm, for a variety of reasons, is no more. And I ended up working for a short period in another firm. And what really happened was I'd come to, I'd gotten used to working in a certain way. And then I was in this very sort of traditional firm that said, okay, these are what you, the things you need to do. This is what you need to build. You need to be here in person. I'd worked from home for seven years of those seven years, probably five years, 50% of the time. So that was a huge adjustment. And they said, look, it's one rule for everybody. We can't have special rules for you. You have to be the same as everyone else. And so really the analogy I like to say is that it really turned up the heat and became a real frying pan for me trying to balance very busy home life with my kids and my husband who works shift work with the demands of a traditional pretty full-on firm and I just thought you know what this is not for me that frying pan got too far hot and boom I'm out of it and I said you know what I know how to do this I've got this wonderful guy that I work with Jono who's um, my business partner and the junior lawyer that I work with we've been working together for three years we said you know what let's do this let's create what we kind of already do let's create it so we can make it our brand make it our business so Balance is a firm that, yeah, allows us to work when we want, from where we want. We're both diehard night owls, so it might really suit us to work at 11 p.m. but not clock on until 10 a.m. That works for us, works for some of our clients too. We also really focus on doing what we love. So uh, I don't know if you've heard of something called Kumon as well. I forced my oldest into it. She called it the horror. But it's a math and English-based tuition program that focuses on mastering something before you move on to something else. And I think that's what we really kind of do at Balance and particularly how I fostered Jono is let's do this really well. Let's learn to do it really well. You get really confident about it and then you move on to something else. So I think that's kind of what we do. We try and work out what we love doing, do it really well and then go, hmm, what else can we do? (laughs) I really like that approach. It's similar to the one that I take or that we take in this law firm is exactly the same thing really what do we like and then how can we be the best at what we like I mean not necessarily the best but when we feel like we've mastered it and we often think we've mastered 
a practice area or a concept until we dive really, really deep and we realize, wow, there's actually a lot more to this than I realized. I thought I was the expert, but hey, here's this whole world I didn't know. But when we get to that point, kind of the next level, then it's like, well, what can we add to this and what will complement it? But it's amazing how narrowing your focus in that way can really change the way you practice and change the way you even view what you thought you already knew. I like that idea. I like that approach. And having seen it myself, I think I think it's a good one. Now let's talk some more about the business model and your approach to law. But starting with the business model, you've described yourself as an evolving micro practice. What does a micro practice mean to you? And what's your intention with the firm and its business model? Well, a micro practice is a very liberating way to practice, I believe, in that we don't have a lot of the constraints and pressures that some of the bigger firms do. And I've certainly seen some of my colleagues sort of start out, they've left a firm and they're starting a new one. And it's it's quite similar, like they're, they're really just recreating something that they left, but in a sort of you know, slightly different way. I thought, you know what, I don't want to, I've seen my former bosses stressing over numbers and figures and, you know, not reaching these targets and having all these expenses. And I was like, you know what, not for me. And, and, you know, Jono similarly minded, he's like, yeah, not for us. So we've created a very lean, agile practice. So what does that mean? It means until very recently, we were almost 100% virtual. We would utilize at the beginning cafes, obviously my kitchen table, the Law Society, which has free offices for hire um, most days of the week. We would use all those things to do our job. And in the beginning, when we didn't have a huge caseload, that worked quite well. We kept all our you know, I sort of did all the marketing, all the PR because it wasn't a hassle for me. I, I enjoy that type of thing. Jono is a whiz with numbers, so he would do all the billing, the finance officer type stuff. And again, he's quite good at that. He enjoyed it, so it wasn't it wasn't a hassle. So we managed to keep our overheads extremely low. The most expensive thing for us, obviously, was our salaries, which we were delighted to be able to maintain from the get-go. I think four weeks in, we were paying ourselves what we were paying ourselves in our own firm, in our previous firm. So, yeah, it was very liberating that we didn't have those pressures. And then we realised, okay, we do need a little bit of space, so we hired a room from a lovely psychologist, and that's where we are at the moment. Uh, We might move in with some other people. We may not. There's all sorts of things, lots of ideas, lots of options. But certainly operating small has allowed us to thrive as a micro practice. And as I say, evolving, when you're small, you're also able to, I don't know, I liken it to one of those little mice that scurries around. They're almost hypervigilant. They're very aware of what might eat them, you know, the elements, you know, what they need to do to survive. But because they're so small, maybe because they can feel the vibrations from the ground, they're very aware of their surroundings, very aware of their environment. So they're able to adapt very quickly. And so, yeah, I think of us like the scurry little mouse, able to get in all the nooks and crannies, learn about things that perhaps the the bigger animals don't pick up on. That's a really interesting analogy. Just you wait. I've got. Uh, I'm an <laughs> it's more where person. that came from. <laughs> I like it. That one I just pulled. I get it though. It really helps to understand what you're thinking when you describe yourself as a micro practice. I get it. It's good. It's interesting. <laughs> now let's talk about fixed fee. How does that look for you? I know you operate on a fixed fee basis, but what is what? How does that look? 
Oh, fixed fee. So funnily enough, I used to be slave to the clock. I wouldn't leave work until I got my six hours plus. And my old boss used to say that my best and highest use was billing and I used to charge like a wounded bull. I think I wore that for a badge of honour, as a badge of honour for a few years and then realised, you know what, this isn't making me happy. Mm. And I, I wouldn't pay these kind of fees if I was the client. I just didn't feel right about it. So I sent Jono along to Clarissa's Happy Lawyer, Happy Life Fixed Fee course. I said I wasn't able to go. I think I had some child issue with one of my kids. And so Jono went along and he came back so excited and we're like, okay, right, we're going to do this. So we actually adopted the practice in that very traditional firm and they didn't like it very much, but we sold it on <laughs> and we took it obviously into with us to balance and It's been a little bit of trial and error. I think our early clients really got some huge, you know, discounts and bargains while we were sorting ourselves out and finding our feet. But what we've realised is, and I think with fixed fee, you do have to, can't expect to get it right straight away. You have to find what works for you and what works for the client. And I think 18 months in, we finally almost, Jonna will say we've still got a bit, you know, bit more to improve, but we're almost there. And we're actually building a computer system, which will hopefully mean that with a click of a button there, our scoping's done for us. So fixed fee basically for us involves, we look at the job that we're doing and it's very much about value first, price second. So what value would a client and what do we attribute to that, to that job? And we really focus on selling that value rather than this is the price because we fell into the trap of saying we're fixed fee and it translated to to many clients, oh, fixed fee must mean like discounted or cheaper. And so, yeah, we're sort of moving away from promoting fixed fee too much, more about focusing on the value that the client will get from the work that we'll do for them. I like that you shared about the journey in terms of learning how to price in this way and that you probably undercharged at the beginning. And I think that's so common. I see that a lot, that when we first start out, we don't charge enough. And it is it is first coming to terms with this new way of charging, which for many, you know, haven't done before. But it's also, like you say, going from that focus on the price to focusing on the value and also valuing ourselves and our work. I think it's easy to undervalue what you can provide so it's interesting to hear how that has evolved for you absolutely and one thing that we really learned is that make sure we would have you know a number of scopes but make sure that the scope ends with something that we do so we don't have these open-ended scopes so we send these scopes out to the clients and then go right the scope will end it will be conditional on the client doing xyz And so we'd have these open-ended scopes and then we'd also have the clients, sometimes not all of them, but some of them would sort of try and sort of say, oh, can you do this and this and this? And then we'd be like trying to draw them back to the initial task and they'd still try and get sort of more work in under that scope. So another thing we did to, to sort of resolve that issue was also make sure that the scope was about these specific things and communications around those specific things. And of course, it would end upon something that we would, as the lawyers, do for them. That's a good tip. I remember talking to you about that a while ago, actually. It's a, yeah. it's a good tip. Now, let's talk about your collaborative approach. You mentioned this when you gave us your intro to Balanced Family Law. We hear a lot about collaborative law, at least I do. I talk about it with others often. But for people who are new to that term or who perhaps haven't quite got their head around it yet, What does it mean? 
So collaborative law, I think it comes down to having a team approach to problem management or problem solving. So rather than, you know, in the traditional space, you'll have lawyer A and lawyer B and they each represent a client and then they're each on opposite sides of the argument and they try and meet in the middle and have this positional bargaining sort of approach to problem solving. Whereas imagine an invisible line between them, you take that away and then you have the two lawyers, there's no sides, everyone's together approaching that problem together saying, okay, what can we do together to sort this out how many options can we come up with that will get us out of this problem and and challenging situation and it's about putting interests and goals at the forefront instead of positions we try very hard to remove all references to percentages until we absolutely have to so we have to when we fill out the um, application for consent orders form we have to put in a percentage And up until then, we try and not mention it at all because I find that it sometimes does something to a client's mind where they can become a little bit fixated on that percentage and see the percentage as being reflective of what is a fair or just outcome for them. Let me ask you about that. I haven't practiced family law, but I have years ago assisted with the preparation of those applications on like the very odd occasion. So I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about in terms of percentage. So if you're not giving your clients that percentage, how are you explaining? the split of property are you being you know you talk about numbers how do you do it how do you avoid that because it's an interesting comment and I I can see where you're going with it it's not something I've thought about before but how do you do it if you're not talking percentages so when a client comes to see me I will say to them at the beginning okay so we're going to have a talk about what's been going on in your life and why you're here today and I'm going to ask some questions to find out more about your financial situation and that will involve you know asking about what's in your bank how much is your house worth etc mm-hmm. etc and we'll have a bit of a discussion and at the end of that discussion I will give you the option of one of wanting to know what the legal advice is around what your rights and entitlements might be or we can focus on what your goals and interests might be but let's first have this discussion first and then you can decide at the end what that might be Mm -hmm. and so this is where I get a little bit I guess bespoke and I become very individualized in the service I provide in that at that point I always like to say I sort of plug in with the client in that I talk to them whereas I want to hear about everything yeah I want to hear about what the underlying issues are, what prompted this separation. So issues that I was taught as a junior practitioner are irrelevant. So, you know, feelings, emotions, you meant to park that because, you know, the law doesn't really give a shit about that kind of stuff apparently. I say, no, we're going to explore all of that. And then we have this discussion and at the end of it, and the discussion depends on the client which way it goes, but we really deep dive into those issues as far as you can in an hour and a half appointment. And I sort of connect with them and, yeah, at the end of it I say, okay, this is what we can do to move forward and we talk about strategies. We talk about the collaborative law approach and I just want to make a distinction there as well. So even though I say we act collaboratively, that doesn't mean we adopt the strict collaborative law model for every matter that we do. That's an amicable matter. Amicable matter. It just means we bring in a collaborative approach, so the interest-based approach and the teamwork approach to that matter. It doesn't necessarily need to be a strict collaborative law matter. So as we have those discussions, the client, I think it just, I mentioned, I think I may have mentioned talking to you, maybe we're being recorded then, but early intervention, 
it's planting a seed inside of them. It really impacts their mindset. So you can plant a seed that fosters an attitude that is defensive, that is protective, that is wanting to make sure that their rights and entitlements are you know, safeguarded. Or you can foster a mindset where that person is willing to put some faith and trust into the other person and into a process that will hopefully serve both of them. And an understanding that the family, you know, usually there's children involved, will be far better off if both parents are in a good place and if both parents' interests are considered and protected. So that's sort of what the approach that I work through them. So I work with them through so that at the end I say, okay, there's a little something called legal advice, which I will give you at some point, but do you want it now? And 99.99% of them say, no, no, I don't want to. They have the foresight to say, you know what? I, I want to work through this process. I want to trust it. And I don't want, you know, if I'm going to hear that advice, I'd rather it be told to me once you've got an idea of what the other side's position is, because otherwise you're potentially advising me on my version of events after story. So to get a more holistic and well-rounded insight into their matter, it's best that we first try and bring the other side into it to have a discussion. That's really interesting. It's really interesting for me to get more kind of detail in terms of how you manage these engagements and I'm sure for the people listening as well. One of the things you said at the beginning is that we get to do work that we enjoy. It lets me be myself. And obviously your style of practice and this way of practicing, which isn't focusing necessarily, well, at all really upfront on the percentages and the money. It's more on how can we resolve this? What are we feeling? You know, the underlying matters, what's causing all of that kind of stuff. What do you do if clients come to you who aren't interested in that? Do you turn them away or maybe do they not show up at all? Have they figured that out by your website, which, by the way, is amazing. People should go check that out. I'll include the links in the show show notes. I love your website. I think, oh, so what do we do? Well, we have had a few. And, of course, early on you take all the work that comes in the door. It has been challenging with a handful of clients and some of them, you know, come around eventually. Others are just, you know, a very fixed mindset and it's very difficult to move them from that place. I mean, because it really has to come from within. We can only really coach them through that process. We can't make them behave or see things a certain way. So uh, very recently we met a lovely lady. Um, This was her second divorce and we, she loved the idea of it, but then as it progressed, let's just say she said, you know what, I love this idea, but I want a lawyer who will fight for me and I think you guys do amazing things, but I'm going to go to one of these lawyers. Do you have any suggestions? <laughs> because I think it would be better for both of us. And I think that's happened a couple of times. Sometimes we've prompted it once or twice. The client has prompted it. So it's always been an amicable parting, but we are very, very strong now on our boundaries and the type of work that we do well. And that's usually covered in the first appointment. So we'll say, look, you will not be the type of client that will work with us if you want us to be the lawyer that's going to fight for you, who's going to write nasty things in letters or even very forceful one-sided things in letters or if you expect us to the other side to do things without you giving something as well. So an example of that is I always say to clients, look, there's this duty of financial disclosure when you're uh, resolving a property matter and you need to provide financial disclosure. So you need to show what you have in your bank, what you're worth, what your debts are, et cetera, et cetera. So I always say, 
get all your stuff. We're going to give it to them first. We're not going to ask for a contemporaneous exchange. We're not going to ask for them to give it to us first. Let's just put it out there and we invite them to work with us. Here's what I have. Now let's work with us. Tell me what you have so we can complete the picture. Mm. And that's had amazing results in engaging the other side, often a self-rep. And these matters are sort of almost at the agreement part, but you can see how the intervention from the lawyer could have either turned this into a dispute or kept it on track and resolved quickly and efficiently. That's a really interesting comment because having interviewed several family lawyers on this podcast, I've heard that a lot that from lawyers that they say often it can be the lawyer who will turn yes. this from amicable to a dispute or who will, you know, drag it out in whatever way because of the way that they practice or their style or the way they advise the client. And it's really interesting yep. that that keeps coming up from family lawyers over and over again. Maybe it's the type of family lawyers I'm interviewing. Maybe I need to broaden out a bit and speak to someone <laughs> different. If that's you listening, come on, let me know. <laughs> but on that note, let me ask you this. This is kind of the last topic I wanted to talk to you about. And that is that in preparing for this interview, you mentioned to me, we don't have any competitors. We only have future collaborators. And that kind of relates to the, the comment you just made, but it's also really interesting because law is so competitive right from university, but it goes back even before that to when we're trying to get into university and have to be, you know, the top of the class and whatever. So what do you mean by this? How do you change your mindset from being competitive with your colleagues to being collaborative? Well, I had an experience not long ago, actually. It was around the time I was studying my firm where I had three colleagues that I had thought were good friends of mine. Um, They had recently started their own firms and I'd been really supportive and really proud of what they were doing. And when I said to them, look, I'm going to start my own firm, I was a little bit surprised at their response because it was quite cool. It was like, oh, are you sure? It costs a lot of money. And I said, "Mm, I looked into it and our little model doesn't look like it's going to be, you know, too expensive to manage at all. And they're like, "Mm, there'll be things, you know be careful. And as time progressed, I saw less and less of them until nothing. And, you know, we were even at some type of conference and they looked the other way. I thought, this isn't very nice. But what I realized that that made me feel, it made me feel really sad. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know what, I don't want anyone, another lawyer starting out or even, you know, there's a lot of solo practitioners or small firms in Canberra and you know it can be really lonely and isolating and I don't want anyone to feel that way that I felt and I thought you know what I just want to bring all these people together and let them know that they're not alone there's a wonderful group of you know local practitioners where you know we can come together support each other and be what I guess other big firms have you know create that sense of community and so that's something that I really feel passionately about and also because it has another amazing another amazing benefit in that to be a collaborative family lawyer you know most of the time there has to be somebody representing the the party on the other side unless it's a you know they've reached an agreement we're just assisting them to document that settlement if there needs to be a little bit of negotiation more often than not there needs to be a lawyer on the other side and our job gets that much easier if we can work really well with that lawyer and if that lawyer works in a similar way to us. 
So competition as opposed to collaboration. So if I'm off doing something differently and wanting, you know, making sure nobody else is doing it that way and I'm very competitive and watching what the others are doing and always wanting to be different to them, then that makes my job as a family lawyer harder because it means that the people I'm up against are going to be doing things differently. So then we're going to, I'm pushing my hands together now to represent, you know, conflict, talk with my hands a bit. That means that it's going to be harder for the client to get to the end of their separation journey because there's going to be conflict coming from the other side in that the differences in the way that the lawyers do things, the differences in the way that they advise the clients. So coming together with other practitioners and sort of talking very openly, discussing, I'm certainly not telling them this is how I do it, you should do it, just talking about it and finding out, oh, well, we do it like that too. And I think I was listening to your interview with Mitch Kowalski and you were saying that, oh, wow, I was always doing it like that way too, but I didn't know, you know, it was that reassurance. And it just, yeah, it just creates this real buzz. And there's a a group of us in Canberra, uh, at the moment, the group's called the Kindness Collective, um, which I sort of took from my one of my alter egos, the kind lawyer. Dream I always had of bringing like-minded lawyers together in the sort of the family law space in my hometown of Canberra to just do things better and differently so that we can ultimately help separating families move through a very consistent model that will see them from separating, thinking about separating to, you know, their divorce and the beginning of their co-parenting relationship. So that's sort of where we're at and I'm excited about what the future brings for our little group. With all that in mind then, what advice would you give to someone who wants to do law differently? Do law differently and just remember you want to do law differently with other people. So share. Don't be afraid of sharing your knowledge and somebody else stealing it. If you're yourself, nobody can copy that. Nobody can do you. So, you know, be yourself, embrace who that is. And if you have ideas, you know, share them, create a group, create a community because that will make it easier. It will make it so much easier. You'll have people who will, you know, give you feedback, will give you that reassurance that maybe the kick that you need to get started. And you know what, at the end of the day, there's plenty of people who are separating and divorcing. You can only act for one part, one half of it. There's going to be work. So just be generous, be kind, be giving. And, you know, I think if you put that out into the universe, you're going to get that back tenfold. And we've seen that in our little community with Clarissa and everybody, you know. It's magic and it works. And I think there needs to be more of that in the legal space. Thank you so much, Peppy. Thank you for having me. It's always lovely to talk to you. That's all for today's episode of the Doing Law Differently podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to do law differently and you're looking for some guidance and inspiration to help you along the way, then get your hands on my book. It's time to do law differently, how to reshape your firm and regain your life. You can get it on my website, lucydickens.com.au forward slash book or on Amazon or Booktopia where you'll also find the ebook versions too. Don't forget to leave a rating and review if you enjoy the podcast and be sure to tell your friends and let other people know too. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.